Good evening and welcome to Slam Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away three months ago. He is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to the Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back to Italy, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hoko at 518-474-8390. Hashtag keep Bradley safe and voice your concerns of wanting him to stay here in the United States. That phone number again is 518-474-8390. I do have return guests. I have Patriot Mom and Dad back on. They were last on October 25th, 2022, Season 3, Episode 140, where they spoke about fraud upon the court and typical Texas fear tactics. And I welcome you back, Patriot Mom and Dad. And where are you at with your case at present time? Well, thank you for having us back, Marianne. Uh, we, it's not good. In fact, it's actually gotten a mm. lot worse. Um, it's funny that our last time on the podcast was October 25th because that's also the same date that my mother placed false allegations against my in-laws. She got Missouri D, uh, Missouri CPS involved and <clears throat> filed false reports on my in-laws when my in-laws haven't seen our children in almost four years now. And then, you know, I got so frustrated and so tired of her abuse against my children against us and I just decided that I was going to file a, an abuse report on her of all the abuse that she had put me through as a child or that she enabled um, and also what I did that because I wanted CPS to understand why I believe and know basically why how our children are being abused mm -hmm. and you know I don't know if any other listeners will agree with me on this but there's there's if there are any other listeners who have abusive parents themselves who are actually involved um via being a caregiver of their children after the state got involved what I hate is when a question a, this specific question is asked is why would your mother do that? There is no answer to that question. There is no answer to why do people, like, why do people abuse? There is no answer for that. There is no reason to abuse a human being ever. Mm -hmm. And so to ask somebody, why would your mother do that? That's kind of putting you in a position where you're sort of forced to say, I don't know. The real questions are, how could you do that? And, and what is wrong with you? Those are the real questions that should be asked. So the other thing that I have learned throughout all of this is emotional abuse and physical abuse are two very different beasts. Mm -hmm. Physical abuse is very easy to describe. It's easy to explain. But emotional abuse is very hard 
to explain, especially when you're being abused by a narcissist and it's been going on your entire life because everybody in society today, it seems like everybody has a different opinion on what abuse is and what isn't. And the best way that I have come to realize what abuse actually is, is you can kind of relate it to grief. Everybody processes grief differently and everybody processes trauma differently. And if you tell somebody what somebody said and it really affected you mentally or, or something they did to them, it may not have bothered them. They may have just looked at it like whatever, you know, go, go screw yourself or whatever. But then there are those of us who really absorb those kinds of behaviors and verbal attacks like a sponge and they literally affect our brain because years and years and years of gaslighting and somebody having to have a, an egregious amount of control of your life you know you start to not trust your own self <clears throat> you mm -hmm. start to not trust your ability to make your own decisions and you start learning to rely on your abuser not just for approval but you start relying on your abuser because you don't know what to do so you go to your abuser because supposedly they're the ones that always had the right answer well i, I describe it myself as a dependency under fear yeah that's true too <clears throat> because you're afraid of your abuser uh abusing you further because you know you're being abused you just don't realize it it's a little difficult to explain because it's such a deep uh, feeling, mm -hmm. but that's where Stockholm comes in. You get that fear to the point where you depend on the abuser. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and like the course of control. Aspect. Yes. Yeah, that, that's where they control the victim. But then what makes it even worse, Marianne, is that, <clears throat> no one listens to the victim they further criminalize they criminalize the victim <clears throat> and then the abuser plays the victim and they get the sympathies of the courts and the department and you know the quote-unquote experts who aren't really experts but they they get the abuser gets the attention and and the help that's needed while the victim is the bad guy if that makes any sense. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, <clears throat> I completely understand that dynamic. Well, yes. I mean, we will take a book, uh, a page out of my book, uh, for instance, <laughs> uh, since, since I'm the victim of all all of this garbage. Targeting and um, stuff. I, I can already say, honestly, that I am targeted mm -hmm. by the county court system. Why? Well, they're not uh, doing investigations completely. <laughs> what I mean by that is they'll ask a few questions uh, and then, so, such as my first arrest. Best example, my first arrest. We went down, met with a detective. He asked us his questions. I wrote a statement. He called me a week or two later and said, well, I got two statements against your one. He never contacted our witnesses, nothing. That's not a complete investigation. You can't justify anything off of one side 
compared to the alleged perpetrator. Especially when that one side has motive against you and yeah. has such a strong and unbridled hatred against you. Especially when as a law enforcement officer, you tell the alleged perpetrator who's talking to you and verifying everything for you before you can even read it and you tell him you believe him or her it it, it prompts a deeper investigation mm-hmm. you need to figure out okay why is he so open with me why is he so fluid in confirming everything that i have in front of me before i even read it or ask or or, or even ask but yet i have these two other statements against him i mean still innocent until proven guilty you need to go down and make sure in your gut that he is actually guilty well he- not only that but if you're only taking i mean first of all it has been it's obvious that in our case you had the department my mother and the the CASA and the kids ad litem attorney, they were all colluding with one another, you know? And so of course their stories are going to match. And I mean, I have a prime example of that. I had a visitation with my daughter. I was forced to go by myself to the DFPS office to do a meeting with my child. And after the um, meeting with my child, The caseworker said, do you want me to call your mom? I'm going to call your mom. And Mm. when she called my mom, well, first I have to backtrack because this is important too. She had the kid's therapist who testified. We later found out during the trial that the kid's therapist was actually not a therapist. She was an intern under supervision. And the caseworker, she told the caseworker, you know, I recorded. And the caseworker said, oh, you recorded? And she said, that's great because you can testify and then I can testify. And then she said my name. And then she said, and blank, you will testify. So then after uh, she said that to me, then she got off the phone with the, ther- the, the intern and called my mom. She said, do you want me to call your mom? I can call your mom. I'm going to call your mom. So she called my mom and My mom said, you know, you could move back here. There are so many much better guys out there for you and you could get your job back. And I just want you to move back so I can be your mom again. So I'm just like, what? I'm, I'm an adult. I don't need you to, you're not raising me anymore. I don't need your interference. I don't need your input. I don't need your control. And What's funny is whenever I would try to call her on what she was doing to try to have a grown-up conversation and address, you know, have a discussion and and address what was what I saw as an issue, you know, I would say, you know, you're causing a lot of contention in my marriage. You're trying so hard to control everything. I mean, she had to have control of my bank account. She had to have a key to my house. She came in and she snooped throughout our house one time while we weren't there. You know, I mean, she had to have this excessive control of my life. She also had access to the bank account. And when I changed the password, 
Somehow she got the bank account information yet again and tried to separate my wife and I. Yes, she she has worked tirelessly to try to separate us. You know, my thing is <clears throat> DFPS has done their damnedest to make him look like an absolute monster, circumventing evidence that proved his innocence, getting him rearrested, you know, a week ago. And <clears throat> You know, all because my mother files these reports. Well, the problem is she filed and what got him arrested is she filed a report with the Missouri police and they circumvented the first two forensic interviews that proved his innocence and went to another judge and this time got him arrested for charges he was already proven innocent of. And, you know, she's doing everything she possibly can to destroy our family and and to destroy my husband mm -hmm. and our children you know she's completely isolated our children from everybody we know my best friend of 30 years my in-laws my in-laws reported abuse that they had witnessed you know mm -hmm. and that's what you're supposed to do you're required by law to report abuse of any kind that you're seeing it doesn't matter what kind of abuse it is child elder animal you have you're required by law to report it mm -hmm. so they did and uh, my mother just retaliated against them she, my in-laws haven't seen the kids okay i'm handing the phone over to patriot dad all right hello all hello <laughs> uh, thanks for having me oh yes and i'm so sorry you are being put through this and i was going to ask you how many false reports has she filed against you uh to this date we don't exactly know the exact number but we do know at least of three major ones and they're all sexual in nature mm -hmm. um it started out uh I'm not going to go into detail, but it started out with one report of my eldest daughter saying that I did specific things to her in our old town of Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Then uh, when that wasn't working and she figured out that we were going to show a video of our younger daughter stating that the sexual abuse happened here in Texas, then she started working on getting the younger daughter in on those allegations as well. And even she went specific, but much, uh, how I would describe it, darker, mm -hmm. much more involved uh, details. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even afraid of those because uh, you can't prove them. There was no medical evaluation, no, no checks of any kind. So, and, and we can, we, we can prove against it, but I wasn't even made aware of my younger daughter's allegations until after like actually just last year in a, uh, around August or September is when I found out and it blew my mind. And I said, how, how come I never heard about this? It was only supposed to be two charges third degree physical injury to a child and i knew they were already going to throw that on me so i wasn't really too afraid of it but after finding out about these new allegations with our younger daughter uh i went 
until last week, believing that, hey, they're they're confused about where these uh, supposed sexual acts happened. They -hmm. never did, but they're trying to figure out where. Mm -hmm. And even my private investigator said, look, I don't think they're even going to charge you because they can't figure it out that my mother-in-law has muddied the water so bad that they probably won't be able to charge me. Well, last week I found otherwise. Mm. Yes. And I found out in the worst possible fashion. Yes, you did. Uh, I go to the gym. That That's my therapy. Amongst, you know, the mental health help that I get from a therapist but that that's my personal therapy mm-hmm. and I was on my way to the gym I was drinking my pre-workout on the way uh getting juiced with 420 milligrams of caffeine the normal beta alanine and citrulline you know j- just to get that pump well as soon as I get like maybe 100 200 feet away from the uh, turn-in for the gym here. I get lit up by a traffic cop. I pull over, so such as the courteous, courteous thing to do, and park my truck. Roll down the window, put my hands on the steering wheel, as, as we're all taught, because mm-hmm. you don't want to make the cops' uh, day any harder, because it'll mm-hmm. make your life even harder. Well, I look in my side view mirror. I see him getting out. And all of a sudden, I see three or four other black SUVs coming around and two guys getting out in full-on plate carrier gears like they're ready to rock. And I'm looking around and I'm counting these guys. I was surrounded by 16, not police, but U.S. Marshals. And they came up, confirmed my name. I said, yes, sir. They said, turn the truck off. And they said, do you have your ID? I said, yeah, I'll get it. They said, they pulled me out of the truck. And I asked them, hey, why am I being arrested? Because I haven't heard anything, not from my attorney, not from my bondsman. And they said, you are being placed under arrest for first degree aggravated sexual assault of a child. And right there, I lost it. I said, what, what the hell? I said, I've been here my, the entire time. Mm -hmm. I said, I have not left Waco. I haven't seen my children in over three years, almost four. I said, how did this come about? They didn't give me any details. They just said, there's a warrant for your arrest. We got to take you in. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying. Sure. Um, I'm going to hand the phone right back to him, but I wanted to add something. It's obvious that they have been following him because our truck is not registered or insured yet. And it's not like it's not registered to our names or, or insured just yet. So it's obvious that they've been following him because they knew exactly whose truck it was. Like, total gang stalking and fear tactics and um 
you know, when you're trying to reach out for help and you're trying to tell them, hey, you know, we've got all this stuff, but no one cares. No one's listening. No one wants to hear it because they they just want you to play the game. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's it in a nutshell. Um, if they can't give you any details of the charge, they can't give you the name of the person who made the allegations or anything like that. You, it's bogus, completely yes. bogus. Well, I ended up spending the night in jail. Mm -hmm. I almost had a heart attack in there because they picked it. me up when I was already hyped up on yeah. that caffeine for mm -hmm. my pre-workout. And then to surround me and completely catch me off guard. Oh. I mean, that, that threw me through a loop to say it nicely. Mm -hmm. Well, spent the night in jail. Made a, I never had, I didn't even have a problem with the inmates in there. Actually, to be 100% honest, the inmates treated me better than two of the guards did. Same. And that is ridiculous. I mean, I, I was, I saw the judge the next morning at about 11 a.m. Via a laptop. Via a laptop outside of my cell. And after that, they said, okay, your bond's $50,000. Uh, and sorry. I, I keep getting a call. I'm sorry. I don't know who it is. Yeah, get, get a random call. But after they set my bond and asked me if I had an attorney and all that other fun stuff, they said they would give me a call. I never got that call. I asserted my Eighth Amendment right right then and there. Uh, about two two hours later, it was like two in uh, the afternoon when I started saying, "Okay, th this is BS. This is cruel and unusual punishment. I deserve my call to be able to have the chance to bond out. You're holding me against my will at this point." Mm -hmm. And this redheaded uh, female guard asked me, what do you want? I said, I want my phone call. And she said, you'll get it. I'll remind him. I said, this is cruel and unusual punishment. And she turned around and said, shut up. Typical guard. Yeah, typical guard. And honestly, me being a person who's on the other side of that fence, you need to treat these inmates almost like psychiatric patients. You don't want to set them off. Right. Right. You don't want to set them off. I mean, while I was waiting to either bond out or get my phone call to bond out, the guy across from me, I felt bad for him. He tried to commit suicide in his cell. They had to raid his cell in riot gear. And they sprayed him with, uh, I, I don't know what this stuff was, but it was like a pepper spray gel. Mm. And it's not designed to burn your eyes but it's designed to burn your skin. And it blew my mind. And that also wasted time for my phone call. Mm -hmm. But lo and behold, about 3.30, 3.40, I'm talking with uh, the therapist because he wanted to make sure I was safe. I was placed mm -hmm. on suicide watch that entire time. Mm -hmm. I had a suicide vest and nothing else under it. And I was kept like that since... 1 30 the day prior so we're looking over 24 hours i was basically naked mm -hmm. 
and oh and no toilet paper to wipe my ass so needless to say i didn't hit the restroom at all Mm -hmm. in like a day um but yeah it took me until after i was bonded out and about midnight that night uh so we're looking at thursday morning Mm -hmm. i look at look myself up on Google and I see a article there and something about the article stood out to me. It said that there was an arrest warrant and I have to take this as fact because I mean, it sounded too good to be false, but they said per an arrest warrant of an outcry, A young girl, the age of 11, at the time of the alleged offense. Wait a minute. If we look into that, Mm -hmm. 11 at the time of the alleged offense. Wait a minute. Our eldest daughter is 11 now. And I haven't seen him in three years. That tells me my daughter is being abused. I don't know how. I'm not even going to try to speculate because it'll... It'll get me on edge, but my eldest daughter is being abused in the home she is in right now. But yeah, I'm the one being arrested and incarcerated. Doesn't matter if it's for a day or months. I'm the one paying the price for someone else. Oh my God, I'm sorry. It, it happens. This is what happens in Texas to families they deem as a threat especially dads it's, they are horrible to dads yes mm-hmm. especially fathers because when you let them know you know your stuff you know your laws you know your rights and all that fun stuff and you assert them they come after you harder. they come after you even harder they look and twist and you name it <laughs> they'll do it and uh patriot mom wants to say something okay <laughs> Marianne, I wanted to tell the Slam the Gavel community that there are many facets to this. One of the things that I believe is they're targeting um, my husband because of the fact that we filed a federal mass tort lawsuit against the county. And of course, the county knows about it, but they defaulted, meaning they did not respond to the federal mass tort lawsuit neither did the dfps commissioner jamie masters um, and neither did the lieutenant governor the only people who responded was the attorney general and the governor and the attorney general and the governor both say that they do not have any oversight over dfps but if that's true then how is it that the governor is the only one who can appoint and terminate the commissioner Two or three days after they were served, and all three of them were on the were on the suit. Two or three days after they were served, in an after hours meeting, which I will send you the article. It's a Texas Tribune article. In an after hours secret meeting, he terminated the commissioner, mm-hmm. and um, the governor terminated the commissioner. And then there's articles where. The commissioner um, admitted that she has been failing the children of Texas, 
which I will send you those articles as well. And I'll put them in the podcast notes. Yeah, but if you look into the Bastrop County issue, you look into the Houston uh, issue where the caseworker told this girl to hoe herself out. Right. That's Fox 26, by the way, folks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Really look into that. You'll see there was a court case and then nothing. Exactly. It's because these people cover up their tracks. Mm-hmm. They know when they get caught, it can be the end of them. Well, and, and you know, this is, we're not the only Texans who have gone through this egregious abuse on the part of the state and our counties. We're not the only people and families who have suffered from this. There have been um, parents who have been murdered at custody exchanges. I don't know if you heard about the Chad Reed case um, on November 5th of 2021, Mm -hmm. but Chad Reed was going to go pick up his child for his visitation. It was his time. He was unarmed. He was no threat to um, the homeowner. The only thing that I saw in the video that I watched that was recorded by his brand new wife mm-hmm. is that they just, Chad just got up in his face and he, Chad made it a point to stand up for his visitation with his child. Like, don't get in the, don't get in my way. If it's my time with my child, it's my time. Mm-hmm. Well, the person who shot him, Kyle Carruth, mm-hmm. He claimed self-defense, but Marianne, how can it be self-defense when one takes 10 steps back, takes the time to aim, and shoots somebody in the head with, how, a, with a 12-gauge shotgun? How How is that self-defense? And then upon doing a little bit more research on this case, um, I found out that Kyle Carruth's ex-wife is a judge. And he got away with murder. And he he got away f- with murder. And he's, I have seen several things that have been posted on Facebook about you know with him communicating, you know, writing messages and posts and everything like that. Sort of, you know, arguing with the victim, the survivor, which is his wife, which is um, Chad's wife. And I I have to give her as as much respect as I possibly can because she is an incredibly strong mm-hmm. person. She's a beautiful person. And but if if I am correct, now please don't quote me on this because I don't know if I'm 100 percent accurate on this. But if I heard it correctly, instead of the police questioning Kyle Carruth, they took Chad's wife and questioned her. And she's the one who got the video. And this man is walking around scot-free. There was another father who had three children and he was murdered at a custody exchange. There was a mother here who was supposed to appear in court the same day her ex-husband broke into her house while their children were sleeping upstairs and shot her four times. And no one is doing anything about it. Dads are being murdered. Moms are being, you know, shot. I don't, I didn't hear if the mother who was shot by her ex-husband survived or not. I pray that she did because I haven't heard anything about that. But one of the judges 
who is being looked at and reported on her name is Barbara Stalder. Um, this mother who was supposed to appear in court with a different judge, she actually saw Barbara Stalder to try to get an extension on her protective order and Stalder denied her protection or denied the extension on her protection order. You know, and and these judges, they all get away with everything that they're putting children and families and parents through and you know, nobody does anything. And, and our legislators like to say there's nothing they can do. But, you know, we have Texas, the Texas Constitution, Article 15, which talks about how the Senate and the Congress people can get involved when the when the judicial branch oversteps. But yet nobody does. And it just seems like no one wants to get their hands dirty because this is a very scary thing and so in a way you know my heart says I can kind of understand why they don't want to get involved Mm -hmm. you know because they have their own too they have their own families they have their own children so I mean it's not like I'm siding with them but I understand I understand why in a way they don't want to get their hands dirty but the other side of me says you know there are so many of you And if you all rally together around the families and the children to truly protect us, there isn't anything they can do to harm you or to harm us anymore. But it takes all of us rallying together and working together to stop this, you know? Well, and granted, I'm getting this off of a t-shirt and (laughs) please, please forgive me for that. But this really rings true for anything to get done it takes the community mm-hmm. and the saying is now hear this mm-hmm. we are many they are few to fear death is a choice they can't hang us all that's true because if the community the people and that's how the uh constitution was made we the people they are our servants not us being theirs if people would just stand up, make their voices heard, and let it ring out, all this would stop. The courts would probably be better. I'm not going to give them too much credit mm-hmm. because I haven't seen anything worth credit for them. Mm-hmm. But they may actually turn around and start doing what their jobs outline Mm -hmm. because i mean just the fact that for instance my attorney lied to the judge saying that i refused to view the evidence and i told him there was a reason why i only spoke to him in email and i have 26 emails showing that i was begging and pleading to view the evidence in my physical abuse Uh, case and i haven't seen it but for him to turn around lie to the judge and the judge to say okay you could go pro se if you want but you only have two weeks till trial that's an unfair trial Mm -hmm. my attorney allowed that judge to violate my rights for two and a half years and now we're on our seventh reset. My new trial date's 
June 12th. And in Texas, there is uh, a limitation to when you can hold a trial from the time of the indictment. It's three years. Well, I was indicted June 13th of 2020. Three years later. April 9th, well. No, that was when I was arrested. Oh. I was indicted June 13th. Well, June 12th, that's kind of cutting it a little short. Yeah. But if I am correct, I may be able to move for the vacate of the case on June 13th and let them know, hey, look, <laughs> yeah, we, we chose the jury. We haven't started the trial. This is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. This is not a speedy trial. And, and everyone needs to understand that. Well, and also we <laughs> assume that your attorney has waived your right to a speedy trial without your consent. Well, yes. And you need to make, uh, if you ever get arrested, you need to make sure your attorney does not waive that right for you. You need to make sure you have that conversation and let him know. I do not consent. And that's what the proper word for it. I do not consent to waive my right to a speedy trial. And if your attorney still motions for an extension, motions for a reset, he is waiving your right to that. And I didn't know that until recently. Is it, yeah, it's terrible how we find these things out later, like years later. Yeah, when it, when it really matters at the beginning. <laughs> right. It, I, I kid you not, <sighs> if I would have known half of what I know now, I probably would be walking free with no charges on me. Can I say oh, one thing? Yeah. Uh, Marianne, if it's okay, I would like to address the people um, not too long ago, uh, there was something on Facebook. Somebody said, how many opportunities do you have to terminate your attorney? If you want to know the truth, you have one. You have one. Because once that attorney shows that he is misrepresenting you, does not, and I hate this term, so everyone forgive me for using it, but if they show misrepresentation, if they show that they are not in support of your best interest, that is your one opportunity to fire them. If they, if you, yeah, um, if you, if they do, if, if they misrepresent you another time, another time, and another time, they have already prejudiced the case against you. So if your attorney is not properly representing you and they have messed up once, you terminate them, period. Mm -hmm. You drop them immediately. I know that I know that for some of us, um, we it is difficult because we are in a position where we can't afford, you know, a powerhouse attorney and things, mm -hmm. which I would like to bring up to you to everyone. And I hope that when they hear this, they write this down. But there is there is a legal professional group that they are fantastic, as a matter of fact. Um, the, name of the, the name of the group is the National Legal Professional Associates. And what they do is they come in 
and they look at the entire case from day one. If there's a note on a bar napkin, they want it. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, my husband and I haven't even made our first payment yet, and they're already looking into things. The owner, the co-founder of of this group um, is incredibly attentive. I've like throughout this whole case, I've never had that. I've never had an immediate response to any of my emails from anyone that has gone to try to help. I've never had an immediate phone call. I've never had somebody interested in knowing what our wants are out Mm -hmm. of this and to actually listen to what we are having, what we are saying. So, um, but, but they, my, my advocate who has a bachelor's in social work and is a family justice advocate, she's the one who found it. And um, she actually, they wanted a proposal from her and she wrote a proposal and they have decided that they want to help every single family who comes to them. And um, which I will send you the link to them also, Marianne, so that your listeners can have that information. Mm -hmm. But it would be awesome if everybody who 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 is listening and in need of help goes to the website and looks at what they have done. Mm -hmm. But also, please be patient because uh, with all the parents out there, uh, even in our federal case, our federal attorney got overwhelmed. So please be patient. If they turn you down uh, at the time you call and tell you, look, we're inundated, give it some time. It's not a definite no. It's just these cases do take time. They do have a team that investigates every aspect of your case. They will even find stuff you don't even know about. Yes. And I mean, even in our advocate's case, she's got four cases and there were things out of North Carolina that they found that she didn't even know about. Mm -hmm. And they're saying they can get her husband home. He's been sentenced to 120 years and they said he got cheated. Yeah. And he's a Navy vet. And he's a Navy vet. They said they can get her daughters home and she's got four of them. And get her brother out of jail too. Both of both her brother and her husband were falsely accused, just like my husband. And their case was tied together. There, well, and also the only difference between our case and her husband's case is the fact that her husband is a Navy vet. That's the only difference. And county. Oh, and the county, yes. But also, um, I have found that CPS. First of all, everybody knows that CPS is not, they do not discriminate. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter if you have friends in high and low places. It doesn't matter where you've been, what your resume says. None of that matters. But the thing is, they have, it seems that they have a proclivity of attacking our vets and federal employees. I was a behavioral detection officer with the Department of Homeland Security. And um, hang on, I keep getting this call. I'll have to call them back. I keep getting this weird call. I don't know who it is. There's caller ID. Did you want to call it and see who it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, We'll do that. Okay. 
So anyway, um, but they do attack our vets and especially here in Texas, HB 19, House Bill 19. Um, I think I've made mention of it before during one of our podcasts, but it is very damning to our vets. Before it was revised, essentially it said that our veterans are higher risk of family violence. That's discrimination against our vets. Mm -hmm. And you can ask anybody how passionate I am about our vets. Don't mess with our vets because it's because of them that we even have any. It's because of them that these judges have the right to slam these gavels. It's because of them that these um, that these attorneys even have a job. Mm -hmm. It's because of them that we still have a right to jury trials. It's because of it's because of them putting their lives on the line every damn day. And then they come home to be treated worse than they were overseas. That is absolutely unacceptable to me, mm-hmm. especially because my papa was, um, I don't know who that is. Okay. My papa is a World War II veteran. Um, he was with the army and I know what my papa went through. He told me some of his war stories and my, my aunt wrote a short biography for him. So I was able to see some of the things that he went through. And um, anyway, it's just mm-hmm. not fair. Uh, it's, it's just unfair. I hate the way our veterans are treated. Mm-hmm. I hate the way dads are treated. I hate the way children are treated. I hate that in the eyes of CPS, our children are only worth a trash bag. You know, they're right. given a trash bag to put whatever they can in there in 10 minutes. You want them to pack their life in a trash bag. I mean. <sighs> yeah, it's disgusting. It's literally disgusting. Well, and I and part of the reason we've done so many podcasts is because this isn't just about myself, my husband and our children. If we don't do these podcasts and share this information, we're not doing anything to help other families and other children. And I don't ever want to see another family go through what we have gone through. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely heartbreaking to me. It is it is so heartbreaking. And, and that's part of the reason I wanted to organize that march was to bring us all together, because regardless of what anybody, whether they want to admit it or not, we are a family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are all united because the children are our ties to each other. Mm-hmm. And if we're not a voice for our children, there is no voice for them. So we, we all have to speak up. We can't be afraid of retaliation because the truth is, yeah, they're going to retaliate, period. Just go into, just go into it knowing they're going to retaliate. Mm-hmm. And it makes it a lot easier. It makes it to where you don't, you know, it makes it to where your, you know, given F word bank is overdrawn yeah, and you don't yeah. have any more F's to give, you yeah. know, you, I mean, you've got to be strong for your children because your children can't be strong right now. They can't consent. They don't know what's happening to them. They don't know that it's wrong. All they know is that there are adults involved and they have learned that they have to do what adults say. So they can't say, no, this is wrong. I know that I have rights. They don't know any of that stuff. So they need us to defend them and protect them. But if you're happily married and someone is attacking 
maliciously your spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, if you need to also do your part to stand up for your spouse, you really do. Because when your spouse is the target, they literally feel 100% alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have to know that they have your support. If you have a good relationship with your spouse, you know, and, and you're seeing the effect and the toll that it's having on them, you know, we all have to do our part for them too, because mm-hmm. I just, I just think that it is so important. It is. Oh, yes. I'm so glad I had you both on. Us too. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, how can people reach you if, if they have any questions? Um, um, I can give you my email. Um, I'm just going to be 100% raw with everybody. Mm-hmm. When my husband was in jail, um, on Tuesday night. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was one of those traumatic situations where you kind of feel like you're in a dream, kind of like in a haze and you don't know if this is really happening or not. Well, the next day is when it really hit me and the gravity of what they were doing to him and our children. And it really hit me. Mm -hmm. And, um, all I can say is my husband is the only reason I'm still here. Mm-hmm. had he not been home or had he gone to the gym to decompress like he normally does I wouldn't be here Marianne mm-hmm. and there comes a point where you know I mean I, I've had a lifetime of abuse my whole mm-hmm. childhood into my adulthood continuing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I suffered a lot um with self stuff and um but I have trained myself because I feel like that inner child in me is is begging to be rescued and we just don't know how to do that yet Mm -hmm. so I still suffer with those really dark depressive things I've trained myself to call somebody get on the phone and call somebody somebody you trust call the suicide prevention hotline, Mm -hmm. call somebody when you feel that down in the dumps, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you feel like you just, there's no way out. You've got to call somebody and talk. Mm -hmm. It's just that night. I am so grateful that my husband was here because I was in such a dark place. I didn't want to pick up my phone. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, you people know. don't realize how bad this is when uh, false allegations are placed on someone and it just all snowballs and this gets out of hand. And this is it what does. this does to families and spouses and kids. Yes, it tears up. It, it's designed to tear the family apart. It is designed for your failure. Mm-hmm. It is designed for your for you to lose your children. It is designed for you to have no rights for them to completely abolish all of your rights. Mm-hmm. One of the ways they do that is keeping you silent in court. Yes. <clears throat> we were not allowed to speak throughout the entire civil case until the very last day of the mm-hmm. entire case, which was August 3rd of 2020. That was the only time we were allowed to speak. And But at that point, it was only five hours to give our own testimony, to have our witnesses testify, show evidence, etc etc it was too little too late by then 
the FPS had done, you know, and their cohorts had done mm -hmm. enough damage to where there, there was no way that we were going to, you know, there was no way we were going to get our kids back. And it didn't matter how much evidence that we had. It didn't matter that we had a video of our child saying they were sexually assaulted in the foster home, mm -hmm. you know, and the judge failed our children twice. She had two opportunities to order an investigation on that foster home. April mm -hmm. 15th, 20, uh, 2020, I testified to the video verbatim. She called an emergency bench conference with the attorneys and my attorney contacted me back and said, the judge said she believes the mother because she knows that happens in the foster home all the time. Mm -hmm. And then on August 3rd, um, my husband's attorney questioned me. I recited the entire video verbatim under oath and then he showed the video and that had no bearing on the judge's decision that's how you know that this is a child trafficking industry mm -hmm. is if you know the people who have caused harm to your family and caused your children to be sexually assaulted in the foster home and the judge still sides with that party mm -hmm. that's how you know this is a child trafficking industry and i don't know i'm going to cut this a little bit short on myself because i know that i tend to go on a tangent and stuff but the other thing too is that we have been told that our son was ruled out twice meaning there was absolutely no abuse no concerns nothing well from everything we have read it's federal law that a judge return a child who's been ruled out if the child has been ruled out what point does the state have in keeping them mm -hmm. she never returned him Oh. In fact, she adopted him out to the same abuser who is accusing my husband. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is. I mean, it just it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I literally feel like nobody cares. You know, I tried to uh, report um, because Austin PD dropped the ball the first time I reported it. So I reported it again. And I got in contact with one of our officers here and I was talking to him about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just told him flat out, nobody cares. Mm -mm. You know, people can, people are going to pretend to listen. I said, nobody cares about justice for our children. Nobody cares about justice for us. You know, mm -mm. and I mean, we have reached out so many times, Marianne, almost every day for four years. I've been mm. on the phone with people. You have. You literally have been trying to get things going and l getting people to listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if, if anyone has any questions on maybe how they can help, you know, get people to listen, what, what email do you want me to use or do you want them to come through me? Um, I would prefer if they came through you and it's okay. not that I'm trying to be, you know, like a goody two shoes or whatever. It's just the fact that after everything we have been through, we don't trust a soul. That's okay. Oh, I don't blame you. Um, I will, I will put my contact information, which would be the dismantling family court corruption.com website. And I'd like to have you both back on again in the future for more updates. <laughs> And I'm so grateful for your time so that we can learn from you and your case. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Are you sure? Yeah.
Are you sure? Because last time you said you took over the conversation. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, hey, uh, uh, are, are you, do you want to add anything else or? No, we're, he said okay. he's good. He said he said he, what he needed to say. So uh, he's anything else or the, is there any um, positive you want to spread for the rest of the families? I will just say this. I pray for all the families who are currently going through this and uh, together we'll, we will beat this monster. Uh, just stay strong. Keep praying and it'll all come through. Anything for the dads? Mm -hmm. For the dads, same thing. Your families are counting on you. You can't give up. Mm -mm. We, we don't have the ability to give up. If you love your wife, you love your children, keep fighting. Well, and I also wanted to reach out to the dads myself and say, I know that society has stigmatized you. I know that, you know, it, you guys are viewed as toxic and you guys crying out for help is viewed as uh, weakness and toxic masculinity. You have at least these two people right here who support you and who care about you and who want to hear what you're feeling. I'm sorry that you, uh, for those fathers that are being so aggressively railroaded in the courts, mm -hmm. I'm sorry for those fathers who have been taken a ride by their, you know, ex-wives and, and, you know, people with a vendetta. I'm sorry that's happening to you, but you are not alone. And if you ever need anybody to talk to, you know, I'm sure Marianne can get you in contact with us. And trust me, my husband understands how you're feeling. And we're here for you and we support you. Thank you so much. Um, don't jump off. Slam, okay. the, Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, <laughs> Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Patriot Mom and Patriot Dad in the future and other guests. Thank you so very much for telling us what's going on. Thank you for having us again, Marianne. Definitely.